You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message, and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Doug Robbins. Good, good. Good to see you guys. And you know, I got to take you back to when I was a teenager. My sister was a grade above me in high school, and she always had these really big, athletic build boyfriends that like to fight, you know? And that came in really handy for me because I usually was on good terms with her boyfriends and I was a skinny kid with a big mouth, you know? So having big boyfriends on my side was a really good deal. And one day there was this guy that was a bully in my high school and he was gonna bully me. And I just pointed over at my sister's boyfriend and said, I'm with him. And then the bully, you know, chose not to mess with me or hit me and I'm just kind of like, what up, dude? You know, you want something? You got something to say, you know? Um, is, is kind of the way I did it. But um, the, it's the power of being with him. And look, I want to show you something today. That no matter what evil powers come against you, you can find the answer to, to, to who you can be with. In Revelation chapter 17 verse 14, look at it with me. It says, they will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And those, what are those next two words? With him are called and chosen and faithful. And so I've just got one transforming idea for you today that we're gonna take a lot of time to unpack. And that is when, when you wanna overcome the evil powers of this world, you can just be with him. And we can make this declaration that I believe is transforming by saying, I'm with him. And so when we say it out loud together, go ahead and point up in the air uh, at him and let's say it together, whether you're worshiping online or here in the cameo. Ready, here we go. I'm with him. One more time for our brothers and sisters online. I'm with him, right on. So check this out. In the story that we're gonna read in Revelation 17 today, we're gonna see three characters. And the characters are the prostitute, the beast, and the lamb. So first question, who is the prostitute? Look at Revelation 17, five. On her forehead, was a really bad tattoo. It was written, a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And so this bully here is far more complex than my high school bullies for sure, but she had a name, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes. So when I say prostitute, you say Babylon. And when I say Babylon, you say prostitute. Ready? Prostitute. Babylon, prostitute. And if you're a parent that brought your kid into the service today and not Kid City, have a good time explaining what that's all about later on after church. But you know, who or what is this prostitute, uh, Babylon, in Revelation 17? Well, in, to a Jewish person like John, who wrote down the Revelation, to a Jewish person, Babylon was a colonizing, exiling, evil empire. In Jewish past, in the Old Testament, the Babylonians took the Jewish people out of their homeland and exiled them all over the place. And so, uh, exile was synonymous with Babylon. So can you imagine, let me just give you a modern day 
you know, fantasy about this. What if the Canadians came down here and invaded us and they exiled you from Texas and made you live somewhere where there were no tacos and they forced you to watch hockey instead of football and they would no longer allow you to say y'all, but they wanted you to say aozer, okay? It just wouldn't work out. Those Canadians are shifty. I said shifty. You know, you got to keep an eye on them, but that is what exile would be about. But here uh, in this text, uh, Babylon is pictured as a she in Revelation 17. How come? Well, if you go back in history and archaeology to ancient Babylon, there was a goddess that represented the kingdom of Babylon. It was Ishtar, and archaeologists back in the late 1800s actually uncovered the gate of Ishtar in modern-day Iraq in the city of of Babylon, I brought a picture of the gate of Ishtar, which it has 575 dragons on it. Now think about the dragons on the gate of Ishtar, this pagan goddess and dragons. And here in Revelation 17, we see that the great prostitute is riding a dragon. And by the way, in case you didn't know, guess where the gate of Ishtar resides today? It's in a museum in Berlin taken there in the 1930s under the reign of Hitler. So it's interesting how Hitler was always interested in these pagan artifacts. Now, Ishtar was the Babylonian goddess of beauty, desire, sex, war, and political power. And so Ishtar was known by the Babylonians for having tricked one of their other gods into giving her his power. So she was a manipulator. Later, Ishtar evolved into Diana or Artemis of the Ephesians that we've studied in previous services uh, on Revelation. And Artemis, in case you didn't know, encouraged in her temples drunken orgies where people would have sex with temple prostitutes. And sometimes there was human sacrifice involved in the worship of Diana. But for some theologians, Babylon in Revelation 17 actually represents Rome. And I can see why they would say that because, um, you know, Rome was kind of an evil empire of that day. And Peter in the New Testament, the Bible, wrote a little epistle and he addressed it to the exiles. And then later on in his little letter wrote, in Babylon. See, so there's a sense in which ancient Rome was synonymous with Babylon as well. And so I believe Revelation 17 is not just about Rome, but let me show you this, is that Babylon symbols symbolizes the anti-God powers of the past, like ancient Babylon and Rome. It symbolizes the anti-God powers of the present in which you and I live, and Babylon symbolizes the anti-God powers of the future, the future reign of the evil powers during the tribulation period that we've been studying. Now, if you've been with the study, we've gone with this time chart to explain the events of Revelation. Back when Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead, it instituted the church age, the space of grace that you and I live in today. A lot of us believe that there's gonna be something called a rapture where Jesus' kids are called up in the air to be with him, and that institutes the seven years of tribulation. And about halfway through that time of tribulation, the beast and prophet, uh, 
prostitute will rise into power, we believe, during the second half, uh, most of it, of that tribulation period and control much of the world. But remember, as we look at Revelation, we're not just looking at future events, but we're seeing some transferable principles that you and I can apply to our lives right now today. And here's the transferable principle for you and I as it relates to Babylon, is that a lot of us believe that as Christ followers, not just people who have a heritage of Christianity. You know what I mean by that? Some people just, their parents went to church or kind of gave them that, but I'm talking about the people that actually have a relationship with Jesus are more and more marginalized in the culture in which we live. We know this. And so there is this sense in which you and I, those of us that follow Jesus, are in Babylon right now. There's a book by David Kinnaman called Faith for Exiles, and he says we're living in the digital Babylon right now because it used to be that if you wanted to be exiled for your faith, you had to attend a far left university or just move into the urban core of any large city. But now all you have to have is a smartphone and Wi-Fi to enter into the digital Babylon. And in the digital Babylon, there are a set of moral ideas and they are enforced by the mob, you know, the digital mob on Twitter. And a lot of people would say that if you have belief in God, believe in Jesus, or if you believe that the devil and demons are real, then they would say you're lower on the evolutionary scale of intellect. And a lot of people say this, and they'll quote something called the Flynn Effect. And the Flynn Effect basically says that over the decades, IQ points are going up three points per decade, and so people are getting smarter, and that uh, particularly progressives are higher on the evolutionary scale and getting smarter and that we're smarter than our grandparents were. Unfortunately, we have new data and research that reveals that the Flynn effect actually doesn't show the whole picture. Flynn himself even recognized this. More recent data reveals that IQs have actually been going down since the 90s. We're not smarter than our grandparents. We just think differently than they did, right? C.S. Lewis called it chronological snobbery, where we think that we're smarter than people of the past, but ultimately that's pride. But look, as it relates to the digital Babylon, I wanna ask you to consider a question today. Have you been colonized by the digital Babylon of our age? Are you being assimilated by the algorithm right now? We'll think about that a lot more throughout this service, but let's ask the next question. Who is the beast in this text? Well, there's a lot of speculation about who the beast is, but let's take a look at Revelation 17, 7, where John says, I'll tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast and the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw, uh, Jesus is saying, was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because, look at this, it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind of wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman is seated. 
They are also seven kings, five of them have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. Okay, some of you are, I can see you start to glaze over, okay? Check back in with me real quick. You're like, what is all this? What are all these numbers? What's this? What's going on? Let me break it down for you one phrase at a time. Now, before I do, I want you to understand that the beast here, I believe, is the antichrist of all ages, the antichrist of the past, of our present age, and there will be a future personality that we call the antichrist in the future. If you want to learn more about this, we already did a service in Revelation on who is the Antichrist. You can go back and listen to the podcast or watch the YouTube video. But the text says, the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise. So what a lot of us believe is that in the future, the future Antichrist will receive a mortal head wound. A lot of people, he will have been, he'll, he'll be alive, but he'll not be anymore. People think he's dead. And then he's going to copy off Jesus and stage a resurrection. And so he'll be again before ultimately Jesus throws down on him and he goes to destruction, right? So uh, he's going to rise again. The Antichrist will um, after the mortal head wound and trick a lot of people into believing him. Now the text goes on to mention seven heads are seven mountains. Well, what is a city with seven mountains? Rome is the city of seven hills. John's current Babylon was Rome, the city of seven hills. And the text mentions seven kings. I believe this is the seven kingdoms the Antichrist will use to rule the world, but it says five of them have fallen. So at the time of John's writing Revelation, the five anti-God kingdoms that were colonizing people were Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, the Medo-Persian Empire, and Greece. But then John goes on to write, one is. The one that was in existence when John wrote this letter was Rome. And it says, the other has not yet come. That's the future kingdom of the Antichrist, the beast, where the great prostitute Babylon will participate in controlling the world. Now, let's ask the next question of the next character. Who is the lamb? Well, that's a pretty easy one to answer, isn't it? Look at, this is Jesus, Revelation chapter 17, verse 14. They will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings and those, look at those next two words, with him. Those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And so Jesus is gonna conquer the prostitute Babylon and the beast, the Antichrist, because Jesus is Lord of Lords. He's King of Kings. Jesus is the center of everything we do here at City Tribe. Uh, He is the point of everything we do at this church. Jesus is the senior pastor of our church. The rest of us just work for him. Jesus is what this whole thing is all about. That's why we offer a course to help you get to know more about him and more of him so hopefully you'll know him. It's called Jesus 101, and I recommend that you go to that if you hadn't. But Babylon and the beast will always collaborate against Jesus, and therefore they will collaborate against you in every age. But they will also want worship. They will want worship from people. Now, the lamb, Jesus, also demands worship, doesn't he? But his motivation is completely different. 
See, whereas the kingdom of Babylon always wants worship from a narcissistic, selfish center, and Babylon sees you as minions to control, Jesus says, no, I want you to worship me because God created you to experience healing and love and joy and peace and acceptance by worshiping me. And he doesn't want us to worship him because he's a narcissist, but rather because we're his children and he wants to lavish his love upon us. That's the heart of Jesus when we're with him. So let's compare Babylon and the beast with life with the lamb Jesus, and I'm gonna make four observations like the, about this today, so look at number one. With the prostitute and the beast, it's a life of sexual immorality, but with him, it's purity and freedom. Go with me to the first verse of Revelation 17, where the scripture says, come, I'll show you the judgment of the great prostitute, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And so the text tells us that Babylon is characterized by sexual seduction of world leaders and the sexual seduction of the masses of people in the world. So can I ask you a question? Does anyone think that a sexual Babylon is among us today? I think it's pretty clear. We're in the midst of a digital sexual Babylon, and some of you are old enough to remember the sexual revolution that began in this country in the 1960s, and it set in motion a series of events that continued to denigrate biblical views of sexuality and relationships, right? But no one seems to be asking the question, is the sexual revolution working? Is it making us better people? Is it making us more loving people? Is it even making us happier? And I think the clear-cut answer is, that happiness levels in the United States, according to most studies, has been going down since guess when? The 1960s. See, maybe there's a correlation there. And you know, as we live in the midst of the digital Babylon, a lot of people are abusing dating apps, right? I'm not against dating apps. If you've gone on a date from someone like that, that's cool, man. But you know how people are abusing Tinder. And so I was interested in this article in Vanity Fair called, you know, Tinder and the Dawn of the Dating Apocalypse. And this article talks about one guy who said, hey, you could talk to two or three girls at a bar and pick up the best one, or you can swipe a couple hundred people a day. The sample size is so much larger. It's setting up two or three Tinder dates a week, and chances are sleeping with all of them. You could rack up 100 girls you slept with in a year. And the article talks about Tinderellas. That's a girl that you would sleep with before midnight, but not after midnight. And it talks about Tinder kings. This is a guy who can get someone to sleep with him based on his text message game, sometimes just using emojis. Or then there's like Tinder food stamps. You know what that is? That's the girl that gets a Tinder date and gets a free dinner, you know, at a free meal on a date, you know, from a Tinder 
date, but um, you know, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? But this one guy said, I sort of play like I could be a boyfriend kind of guy in order to win them over, but when they start wanting me to care, I just don't. And then one lady said, I had sex with this guy, and he ignored me as I got dressed, and I saw he was back on Tinder. Tinder. The guy was back on Tinder before the girl could get her clothes back on, right? And here's what I want you to know. You were not made by God, ladies, to ta- cash in on, like, Tinder food stamps. Look, you, you were not made to be a Tinderella. You were, guys, you were not made to be a Tinder king, okay? That is not your identity and what God designed for you. But what God designed for you was to live in purity and celebrating your singleness in connection with God and service to him. And you were made, look, you were made married folks to keep the business at home in marriage. You know what I'm saying? So this is the way that God designed us, and we even have this tribe group class here called Conquerors, where people are in the process of conquering the lust beast. You know what I'm saying? And when you're in Conquerors, it's like you're saying, I will not be sexually colonized by the digital Babylon. And I love a lot of people in this church because we're astute enough to understand that we grew up in digital Babylon, didn't we? We, in this room right here. We can tell some crazy stories of stuff we've done that we regret a lot of us, right? But what we're saying now is we stand up to the powers that be in the digital Babylon. We will not be colonized by it. But check this out. Here's, here's second observation. The prostitute and the beast are all about political and ideological colonization. But with him, there's freedom in your mind. Look with me at Revelation 17, three, I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And the woman that you saw has dominion or like control over the kings of the earth. So Babylon, the great prostitute, will trick the powers that be, not just the masses, but also she will trick world rulers to be a part of the evil scheme. Now remember Ishtar, the goddess of Babylon who was all about manipulation and getting politicians drunk on power and sexual sin. And the prostitute and the beast will be masters of manipulation using propaganda to colonize the world. But can I submit one observation? I believe that the colonization has already begun. There's a great book that I've referenced in a lot of my cultural commentary today by John Mark Comer, and it's called Live No Lies. And one of the concepts that he surfaces in this book is actually a term that was coined by Pope Francis, and the term is ideological colonization. And it's basically a form of oppression by affluent societies imposing a progressive worldview on poor societies, often as a condition for humanitarian aid. And so a lot of people around the world are being told that their cultures of origin are wrong. You must believe 
this ideological agenda. I'll show you another example of it from a book called Brown Church by Robert Ramiro. And he was, he's an academic, he's a college professor, and he wrote this book about the faith of people um, who have come to the United States, from, and he traces the theological contributions and the social justice contributions of the Brown Church around the world. And he, told, he writes about in this book, he tells story after story of these Latina, Latino kids that come to university, and then they're shamed, and they're being told that their Christian faith is not legit because it doesn't fit with the ideals of Babylon. In fact, Ramiro is afraid of being canceled and shamed because he writes about these stories in an academic setting. See, he, there are some of his colleagues that are not very tolerant and are practicing ideological colonization. But look at the third implication here, the third observation, that the prostitute and the beast are all about materialistic bondage. But with him, there's generosity and abundance. Look with me at Revelation chapter 17, verse four. The woman was betrayed in purple, and she was arrayed, rather, in purple and scarlet and adorned with golden jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations. And so Babylon of the age gives the culture and gives people all this material wealth and gives people these lavish riches. And Babylon will use possessions and materialism to control and colonize the masses of people. They'll love all the stuff. And so the purple, gold, jewels, and all that Babylon has, this great whore, it looks a whole lot like the materialism of much of the United States, and it looks a whole lot like Dubai and the oil money of the Arab countries flexing their wealth. In fact, our current Babylon is in the process of failing, isn't it? You've seen what happened in 2020 when just a, you know, a tweak happened. And it seems like the economics of Babylon are failing us. You've gone to the grocery store and the gas station and seen how much higher your bills are right now. We're in the midst of pretty significant inflation. And what's happening is that there is a growing gap between the haves and have-nots. And this is caused by the Babylon of our age, the, pro the promised utopia of Babylon is actually turning into the Hunger Games, where common people are more like the people that were out in the districts, impoverished, growing gap, whereas the people at the capital are like the Hollywood elites and the controlling rich of the global economy, see? But in the midst of economic concerns here at this place, together, you know what we've done? We've engaged with kingdom economy and generosity in an age of scarcity and abundance. Like I told you guys last week, together we've given away over $118,000 to help our brothers and sisters who are needing to pay bills right on and needing to uh, pay for their insurance and house payments and the light. But look at observation number four. With the beast, 
There'll be betrayal of the prostitute. But with him, with the lamb, Jesus, there's a beautiful resistance. Look at Revelation 17, 16. It says there, and the 10 horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put in their hearts to carry out his purpose. And so what you see in the kingdom of evil is betrayal. The antichrist of the future will not want to share worship with Babylon. He wants it all for himself because he's a narcissist. And the antichrist will turn on the Babylon of the future and betray her because in the kingdom of evil, evil cannot trust evil. This was punctuated for me when I was a young rebellious teenager and I was over at my drug dealer's house and his drug dealer came over to his house and got us high. And I remember when the big drug dealer went to the restroom, my little drug dealer took some of his stash and hid it away, stole it from me and told me, shh, don't tell him. And I always remembered that. I thought dealers can't trust dealers, you know? And the same is true in the kingdom of evil. Evil cannot trust evil. They will always turn on each other. That's why the foundation of their lives will always fall because there's no trust in that kingdom. And here's what I want you to know, particularly those of you that are spiritual investigators. You're gonna have to decide who to trust, which philosophy of life, which spirituality, which worldview that you're gonna trust. And I am not asking you to blindly trust me or any other pastor. I'm asking you to look, at it, look into it for yourself. But one person I know you can trust is Jesus. He is completely trustworthy. He will never leave you or forsake you right on when you're with him. But, the, but for all of us, I wanna ask you, would you like to join the resistance? Like on Star Wars, these young people joined together to resist the evil empire of their day. And would you join me in resistance of the digital Babylon of our age? You know, there's a pastor and author I like named John Tyson, and he ministers in a very secular part of the inner city of New York City, right? And he lives in a world that is about deconstruction and never building anything back. But what he explains is, is that we're a part of the beautiful resistance, a movement of love that doesn't just tear down, but builds up. See, that's what we want to do. We also want to be a part of what Arnold Toynbee says is the creative minority, a small but influential group motivated by love that seeks to bless the host culture rather than tear it down. We want to bless people with love. And he says, you bless them not from the center, but from the margins. And as true Jesus followers are continually pushed out to the margins, there we will have influence from there as the spiritual punk rockers of our days. But rather than being colonized by the digital Babylon's isolation, how many of you know people that have been isolated by the digital Babylon? They just sit around in their room all day and Babylon just pours into them. And they're isolated from other real people. 
But we say we will resist the digital Babylon of our day and we will gather in person and online, see, as a part of the digital Babylon. And what we understand is like when you're like a coal and you've been pushed away from the rest of the coals on the fire, you grow lifeless, ashy, cold. But when you're nudged back in with the rest of the coals, you can stay on fire for the Lamb of God and Jesus. And so, furthermore, we gather with others in our tribe groups where deep relationships and spiritual growth can happen in resistance to the digital Babylon of our age. Because we understand to be with him means to be with each other because in you, the image of God dwells, and it dwells in me. And when we come together, we experience him as we worship and connect together. And look, this could be our finest hour. When other parts of our world are freaking out, this is the time for us to rise up with the resistance. You know what I'm saying? And so when we're in unity with him, we can further the resistance, the beautiful resistance. And when I talk about the resistance, understand I'm not talking about taking up arms and overthrowing the government. I'm talking about a resistance of love where we do what Jesus says and we become and we continue to be a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden, that the people of this world would see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. But what I want you to understand is that if you really do want to join the resistance, there's a cost. There's a cost to being with him. And I want you to understand that cost up front, particularly if you're a spiritual investigator, because you would go to some churches and they would say, oh, the Bible's just about making you happy and more prosperous and having better clothes and a fancier car to drive. But what I want you to understand is the potential cost is seen in Revelation 17, verse six. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. How's that for a felt need? We don't impact our world by forcing our views. In fact, you can see a backlash to the digital Babylon happening right now because people are tired of being shamed and canceled. People are resisting it. When I was a new Christ follower, there was a book circling around you know, the church where I was attending, and it made an impact on me. It's called The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And one of the lines from that book that really hit me as a new Christ follower, because remember I told you, you know, it's like one month I'm over at my dealer's house, and then like not too long after that, Jesus is like straight up jacking me up and changing me, you know what I'm saying? And I read this line Bonhoeffer wrote, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. I want you to understand what that does not mean. It does not mean you start following some weird cult leader that's gonna carry you away on a UFO or give you poisonous Kool-Aid on a retreat. It's not, I'm not talking about that, but what Bonhoeffer's talking about is Jesus bids you to lay down your life in service and love for people in our world. 
and to stand up against the Babylon of the age. And the Babylon of Bonhoeffer's age was Nazi Germany. And stand up, he did. And it landed him in prison. Three weeks before Hitler committed suicide and Nazi Germany crumbled. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was stripped naked, taken from his prison cell into the woods before a firing squad and executed. We only have one record of Bonhoeffer's death and it comes from the prison guard who escorted him to the firing squad and this prison guard was inspired by his life. And look at what he wrote down about Bonhoeffer's death. Through the half-open door of a room in one of the huts, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer, still in his prison clothes, kneeling in fervent prayer to the Lord his God. The devotion and evident conviction of being heard that I saw in the prayer of this intensely captivating man moved me to the depths. And look, if we want to move people to the depths, we won't do it by force, but we'll do it by laying down our lives and not only standing up to the digital Babylon, but laying down our lives for people. And as they see that we're willing to say to the digital Babylon, I will not be sexually colonized and I will not be materialistically colonized, but I will only be under the control of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, and walk in his love, grace, service, abundance, and generosity. That's when we will change and move people to the depths. So with that in mind, how about we pray? And as we bow before God in prayer, if you would like to join the resistance, if you've never had love relationship with God through Jesus, just in your own heart and mind right now, say something like this to him in your heart. God, I choose to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid the penalty for my sin. I welcome you into my life. And for the rest of us, we say, we will bow up to Babylon. We will not cower before the bully of our age, but we will stand with him, with Jesus, in whose name, in whose name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Well, as we wrap up today, I want to remind you about something coming up next Sunday. If you've never joined the tribe or the church or the group, you want to know what this place is all about, mission, vision, and all that, uh, show up to Tribal Orientation. It's a class I created that'll happen right after the last service on Sunday, next Sunday at 2.20 p.m. right here in the Cameo. We'll also stream it on YouTube for those of you that are worshiping online. Now, another thing I want to remind you about before we take off from church today is our worship through our financial stewardship, that is sowing into the things of God, sowing financially. So we believe here in bringing a, it's best practice to 
bring a first priority, first fruit, you know, tithe at the local storehouse, the church, the home of the resistance, uh, to help people be free from the evil powers of our day. Now, I wanted to tell you that if you're a text-to-tither, if you use that method to, to text-to-tithe, um, I'm sorry if there was a misunderstanding last week. The new number, we got a new number for text-to-tithe, so if that's your modality for uh, donating, make sure and take note of the new number. It is 833-381-2888 there, so make sure and write that down. But there are other ways to... to Bring your offerings so we don't pass buckets or plates. You can mail it to the P.O. Box number. Go to the in-person giving stations that are located near the exits of the theater. If there's a line there, just hit the QR code and you can get it. It'll take you to citytribe.church slash tithe. So before you guys worship through generosity, and by the way, thank you for doing it. You guys are making a huge impact. Let's stand up together. I gotta get you out of here today because there's football to be watched and brisket to be eaten, right? So um, uh, put, put your hand, if you're comfortable, put your hand in position to receive. And let me speak these words over you, and I hope they'll be true of you as you guys walk from here. Brothers and sisters, walk from here in purity and freedom from the digital Babylon, walking confident, even in the face of death, because you are with him. You guys have an amazing week. You're loved. We'll see you next time. Peace. We're glad you were part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.